Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. We're your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. This segment is brought to you by BuildOut, your best marketing for your brokerage. Visit BuildOut.com. We have an incredible show for you today. We're going to talk about trends in construction and in development around the U.S. And construction has certainly been booming in a lot of markets. There's been uh, some challenges with labor. There's been some challenges with cost. We have economic changes going on in the world, in the U.S. with our president. What's going to happen moving forward? Well, we'll find out more in this show. Please welcome my first guest, Anibon Baisu. He's the economic advisor for the Construction Financial Management Association. He's joining us on the phone, Bond, thanks for joining us. My privilege to be with you. Thank you. And let's talk about cost to start with. Uh, this is the commercial real estate show. So, so what are you seeing for construction cost trends around the U.S. today? Uh, like many things, um, construction is becoming more expensive to deliver. Uh, the uh, pressures are coming from a variety of sources, but first and foremost is labor, uh, compensation costs. Um, you know, actually, construction employment is much lower than it was before the Great Recession, but so many people left the industry permanently during that uh, economic downturn. So few people have come back uh, relative to the number that left, and so we find ourselves with an incomplete recovery and yet not enough workers. Uh, This is particularly true in the skilled trades, electricians, carpenters, welders, other categories. And so compensation costs are on the rise, uh, and uh, that's not going to change anytime soon because the industry continues to face a uh, a wave of retirement. We are starting to also see some construction material cost inflation as well. Uh, Materials costs are lower than they were a few years ago. It's true. Commodity prices are lower than they were a few years ago. Things like steel and iron ore, oil and natural gas uh, are very far from their peak prices of a few years ago, let's say in uh, 2014 and before that in 2008. But, um, But still there has been some recovery in those costs, and so we're starting to see materials prices rise on a year over year basis for the first time in about two years. So you expect this to continue moving forward into 17, 18, and beyond? I certainly would expect compensation costs to continue to rise. Again, because not that many young people are entering the construction trade. There is this mantra out there suggesting that the pathway to the middle class uh, is via the collegiate route. And certainly colleges contribute a lot to construction by creating construction superintendents, uh, estimators and other professionals that work in the construction industry, of course, accountants as well, uh, the kinds of people associated with uh, CFMA, the Construction Financial Management Association. But there's a lot of folks uh, who don't need a college degree to work in construction. Their training is through apprenticeship programs or on the job. And a lot, of, not a lot of people are looking for those types of opportunities. This is not unique to construction, parenthetically. America is home to 5.6 million job openings, roughly a record high. There are a lot of industries that are struggling with skill shortfalls, but construction is at the vanguard of suffering the most. And uh, that's not going to change in the next couple of years. We will see a wave of retirements, and so I would expect those costs to rise. With respect to materials costs, whether natural gas or diesel fuel or uh, copper, iron, so on and so forth, that's anyone's guess. 
We know that the global economy remains weak, that commodity prices remain under pressure, that despite efforts by OPEC and others to keep oil prices high, oil prices continue to be relatively low relative to historic norms. And I'm not sure that's going to change significantly. On the other hand, I don't expect prices, materials prices, to be nearly as low as they were, let's say, uh, throughout much of 2015. Well, it's interesting because uh, construction costs sure has a large impact on the commercial real estate industry, not only in the new construction, but on, on tenant build-out and, and, and everywhere we turn. And the president is talking about a lot of infrastructure um, development in the U.S. How is that going to impact all of us? Well, of course, it depends upon the nature of an infrastructure-led stimulus package. And one could imagine a scenario in which such a package uh, is ultimately not implemented. Uh, but there seems to be bipartisan support for an infrastructure-led stimulus package. The president, of course, has tossed around a few numbers, actually, but $1 trillion is the most common number. But he suggested that it could be even larger than that. Uh, there's some skepticism regarding that because uh, the nation also has a $20 trillion national debt. But we have an economy that continues to approach full employment, we already don't have enough construction workers, and that would put further strains on the construction workforce. So if there's going to be an infrastructure-led stimulus package, it actually needs to be coupled with a stepped-up training agenda, more investment into apprenticeship programs, more uh, vocational training or career, career and technical education within our high schools, stepped-up investment in our community colleges, to try to create the construction workforce that we need to support the industry and to support the improvements that we need in our built environment. And that built environment, of course, includes the infrastructure component. So a um, lot of promise here. Uh, I, you know, there's clearly a demand for more infrastructure investment. In fact, if you look at various publicly financed categories of construction, like food and waste disposal, transportation, public safety, water supply, and highway and street investment, all of that, all of those segments have seen reductions in construction spending over the past year. So if you thought that we were under-investing in the nation's infrastructure a year ago, we're spending even less now. Mm. So, we, you know, there is bipartisan support for such a package, and it does make sense. Yeah, and I like your point uh, about needing more uh, education. You know, my son is in high school or he's a senior in high school. And when I went to high school, you know, I took drafting, I took woodworking, uh, you know, I was in there building furniture and things. And there was none of that in his high school. And, uh, you know, it's no wonder that we have a shortage of uh, people in this and labor in this industry. And then we have, you know, immigration, it changes. So how might immigration changes uh, with our new president uh, challenge or, or, or is there any benefit uh, to, to labor? issues here? Well, a couple of things. First, with respect to high school, you know, when the mantra is to get kids to graduate by passing standardized tests, uh, and if the test involves mathematics and reading, uh, one is not going to pull out a student from math class uh, in order to have them take a shop class or a drafting class or a furniture-making class. And so those things have been removed from curricula across the nation. Many of the construction firm owners uh, that I know, who I know, uh, people who in many cases were wealthy by their late 20s, uh, said that they uh, began to appreciate their love of construction 
uh, when they took shop class in high school. Uh, yeah, so there isn't I, shop class in high school often. I know, there isn't. And so those there, folks have not looked in construction for opportunities, and yeah. so here we are with an industry that's not completely recovered, whether residential construction or non-residential, and still where there are structural shortfalls, and with very rapidly rising compensation costs. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon, and it's unfortunate. Americans complain, of course, about the pressure on the middle class and lack of middle-income jobs, but there are tens of thousands of middle-income jobs in construction that go begging every day, whether, again, electricians, carpenters, welders, and many, many others, uh, heating and air conditioning professionals, and it's too bad. And that could be an area where, uh, you know, things could really come together. Your second point was about immigration. So during the uh, construction booms uh, of, uh, of the mid uh, 2000s, let's say 2004, 2005, 2006, which was largely a residential construction boom. Of course, a lot of immigrant labor was utilized, some of it legal, some of it illegal. Uh, suddenly, over time, more pressure has been placed upon employers not to use that kind of worker. Uh, that continues, of course. The pressure to not use that type of worker has been stepped up. And as a result, guess what? The construction skill shortages are going to worsen. That doesn't mean it's not good public policy to deal with immigration that way. That's, you know, people's personal opinion about how they think immigration should be dealt with from a public policy perspective. But the fact of the matter is a lot of immigrants have worked in construction and agriculture and in many other industries. And to the extent that those folks do not feel comfortable coming out of the shadows to work in these industries, it means that costs are going to rise. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to have a big impact. Anabon, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show. Anytime. Take and care. And for more information, visit cfma.org. Stay tuned with us. We'll have more on the construction and development trends around the country. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Are you in commercial real estate brokers? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking construction and development trends around the U.S. Please welcome my next guest. It's Louis Archambault. He's a partner with Arnstein and Lair. They are a law firm headquartered in Chicago, and Lucky Lewis is in Miami uh, this morning. Louis, thanks for joining us on Skype today. Thank you for having me, Michael. And uh, Lewis, what I'd like to talk to you about is, is some of the, the challenges that developers are having today and, and maybe property owners in general uh, trying to or, uh, incorporate some of the new technologies. You know, what are you seeing out there? Sure. Uh, what we're seeing is that uh, there's a, a lot of technology. Technology is exploding at this particular moment in issues for driverless cars, 3D printing, uh, evolutions in building materials and uh, developers certainly understand that 
those technologies are things that could make their buildings bigger, stronger. Uh, construction could be cheaper. Uh, in other issues for integration of the technology. The challenge has been is that in the development process, when you're talking to bankers, you're talking to investors, uh, certainly government structures, uh, to get them to understand the technology that's available and to then integrate that technology into developments. That's the challenge. It's convincing status quo, static structures to adopt evolving dynamic technologies. Right, and some of that is uh, involved around the cost, right? It costs more to, to develop a new project when you're trying to look into the future and have it ready for it, isn't it? Right. The structure is very concerned with what they're doing now, what is. And technology is concerned with what could be, what, right. what can we do. Uh, so when you have a checklist of items that you need to check the box in order to verify that from all of your research a project is going to be profitable, things have to fit within those boxes. And obviously evolving technology doesn't necessarily do that. Plus if you're dealing with nationwide structures, either, either credit tenants, uh, nationwide developers, uh, large institutions, REITs, they're going to have nationwide statistics to justify their underwriting. Well, a particular area or particular development, say urban versus suburban, is going to have a different set of parameters. How you integrate that in your boxes is going to dictate whether you, whether you approve the technology or not. Uh, plus, if you've got technology that is uh, something that may be possible, say, 40 years in the future, like driverless cars, most people would tell you they agree that parking is not going to be as necessary in the future. However, if I'm an investor with a 10-year exit strategy, I don't care that what the building is going to do in 30 years. I care what it's going to do in 10 years until I exit. Uh, and if you're trying to tell me that it's going to cost an extra $30 million to build a building that could be repurposed from parking into, say, office, I may not be interested in that because I'm the one putting out the money. I need to get my investment back with a profit before we even get to that question. Yeah, that's right. You're not Maybe you're not concerned with functional obsolescence five, six, seven years from now uh, when uh, maybe that loan has to be renewed or new investors buying that property because the people doing the original development are kind of out of there. So what do, you, what do you tell lenders? What do you tell developers? What do you tell investors? What, are, what, what can help them understand the value of, uh, of having a building that has alternative uses? Like you know, if you're build, building a parking deck, I know you have one of your clients that's building a parking deck, and they're going kind of the extra mile to make sure it's convertible to other uses later, right? Well, correct. And I think that the interest in this topic, even in the short term, is when you're talking to either an investor or a banker is first of all to fully inform them of what's going on so that they have the knowledge and knowledge tends to take away some of the fear but also to explain to them that nobody really knows when the technology is going to be adopted it may be sooner than people expect and technology has shown that once it's integrated the absorption rate of the technology and the adoption rate is is astronomical to what it used to be. I mean, I'm sure you remember like I do rotary phones, uh, and uh, and some and how long it took for people to develop cell phones. 
But then if you go to things like Uber, Uber took everybody by surprise. And it happened so quickly, it overwhelmed the existing business structure. It also overwhelmed local governments to where whether you wanted Uber or not, Uber was coming to your area and it was going to integrate itself into your city or county, whether you liked it or not. And that, I think, is the fear, is that the speed of technology and integration has gotten so quickly that business people need to understand what's coming. Otherwise, instead of riding the wave, you're crashing into the rocks. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And you talk about Uber, and then you talk about um, driverless cars, and you think about also how our youth are, are changing, and some of them you know, are not even buying cars or wanting cars, and they, when they just grab their phone and, and get a ride, and actually they can stay on their phone while they're having that ride. I mean, that's another benefit. So what do we do as developers when we're talking to municipalities, and they say, you know, you need four parking spaces per thousand, you need this much parking, and we're like, wait a minute, we don't think as we look at the future, even two, three, four, five years out, we're going to need that much parking. Correct. And that's the integration with the government because without a government law allowing for the developer to discuss, say, three spaces per thousand, you have problems because the tenants that are used to developing big box retail, for example, all over the country uh, and not having these parking problems will talk to an urban area and say, well, our studies say that we need four spaces per thousand. And you'll say, well, in an urban area, with the evolution of technology in the cars, we could develop this to three spaces per thousand and save ourselves a lot of money. They'll say, look, my box says four per thousand. I, I can't go for three. And unless you have some sort of a law to force them to three, you're not going to get there in your negotiations. Yeah. And another technology that uh, seems to be booming is 3D printing. And how is that impacting construction and development today? Sure, I'll give you an example. One of the things that's very available right now is 3D printing shoes, okay? Let's say that I wanted to put a shoe store in, pick a, a, a retail mall, uh, 1,500 to 2,500 square feet. I'm going to manufacture the shoes in the back, and I'm going to sell them in the front. And I go down to uh, uh, Beatrice at the city, and I'm trying to get an occupancy permit. And she says, well, what do you do? I say, well, I make shoes and I sell them. So she says, well, wait a minute, you're an industrial use. I, I can't approve you in a shopping center. And you say, wait a second. These printers are small. There's no environmental impact. I'm selling them. It's really a retail. And she said, but you're industrial. And you'll say, no, it's more like a printer, like you have a, 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 a paper printer in the back of your office. It's not like a giant manufacturing facility. You're going to have to convince that person Otherwise, you're not going to get your, 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 uh, your permit, your occupancy permit. If you go to the bank and try to get a line of credit, they'll say, I think you're an industrial company. Well, no, not really. Um, you're, you're, you're retail. So that's one aspect. Also, too, um, other people, uh, Mercedes-Benz, um, different manufacturers are now 3D printing auto parts, for example. Um, FedEx and UPS are getting involved in 3D printing because they don't want to be cut out of the process. They want to be part of the process. So they're actually looking to integrate some of the 3D printing into their business. 
so that they don't become obsolete. So, All right. And I'd like to uh, get some tips from you, Lewis, uh, of how our clients can, can deal with this moving forward and profit from us. So if you will stay with us, we'll be right back with more. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Chat. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Build-Out, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit BuildOut.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about construction and design trends around the country. This segment is brought to you by Valuate Online Investment Analysis. You can share with colleagues. Visit GetValuate.com. My guest is Louis Archambault. He is a partner with Arnstein and Lair. He's uh, talking to us on Skype from his office in Miami. And we talked about some of the challenges that developers are having and, and the companies that we're, we're putting in our development. So what do we do about it? <laughs> How can we handle this? What are some tips? Sure. Information and comfort is, is the key. Uh, if you're trying to integrate the technologies, have an expert from the company itself to come and describe to your financiers, to your banks, to your investors, to at, at a government hearing exactly what the technology is and how it can make the development better. When you're talking with financiers, how is this going to increase the profitability of the business or how is this going to decrease your construction costs? Uh, how is this going to reflect well on the investment or in the criteria you have, how this doesn't quite fit your existing criteria, why don't we try to rewrite some of that uh, to take into account how this is different from what you're already doing. So as long as people are comfortable with that, uh, that's the key. Um, about six months ago we were talking, uh, I was able to attend a presentation by Sidewalk Labs by, uh, it's actually a Google company, and their purpose is, is exactly our topic. How do we integrate all these wonderful technologies into development to where we're not just talking about it, we're actually able to do it? And I think uh, you know they're on the right track as far as how you try to encourage people to adopt the new technologies. Right, and that's a, a good source, Sidewalk Lab, because we need more sources for this, because like you said, if, if we all think that even as soon as three, four, five years from now, the way things are going, we're going to need less parking. Then we need to talk to our municipalities now and say, look, if, if your guidelines say four per thousand and we're going to need two, uh, you know, that, that's not very smart. So we've got to get these experts. Who are these experts that we can get in and, and try to, to change things? Correct. Uh, also, I know that specifically with navigation and, and driverless technology, DARPA is very involved in that process. Uh, MIT uh, has uh, graduates and companies in this initiative and also different states, the state of Florida is really trying to be on the front of adopting uh, the new technologies. They have laws that are being introduced. Again, all of this is positive to try and evolve with the technologies so that a lot of these things could be integrated and make all of our lives better. 
Right. Well, Lewis, what tip would you leave with our listeners and viewers regarding technology in new development today? Is uh, learn. Learn as much as you can about what's out there. Uh, and again, to be ahead of the curve so that uh, in your business, whatever it happens to be on, the, in, in, on whatever coin in real estate, you're at least aware of what these technologies can bring so that if you're in a meeting or if you have a project that comes across your desk where they're talking about some of these technologies, it doesn't catch you off guard uh, so that you're more willing and open-minded to be able to uh, harness and, and, and adopt the technologies rather than simply rejecting them, saying this will never happen or this isn't profitable. Great. Lewis, thanks for joining us. Great information. We appreciate you being on the show. Great. Thanks again for having me. And uh, stay tuned. If you are in construction or you're in development, there may be an association that you want to belong to. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Hi, this is Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the $1 to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential turns because it's all driven by technology. Visit GetYourPlumLoan.com. That's GetYourPlumLoan.com. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about construction and development trends around the country. This segment is brought to you by Apto, your brokerage in the cloud. Visit apto.com. Please welcome my next guest, Stuart Benstock. He's president and CEO of Construction Financial Management Association, CFMA. He's joining us on the phone. Stuart, thanks for being with us. Michael, nice to uh, be with you. Look forward to having a conversation with you. Well, I'm curious about your association and uh, what you guys do and, and your mission. Okay. Uh, well, we are we represent all of the financial folks in the construction industry. So primarily our membership uh, consists of CFOs and controllers in construction companies. That's about 60% of our membership. Um and about 40% of our membership we call associate members. They're folks like accountants, sureties, bankers who want to work for construction companies. Uh, and our mission is really to educate the industry, to have our members uh, more educated about what uh, they do on their job and how to do their job better. How long have you guys been around and uh, how many members do you have? We have been around for about 35 years and we are touching right now about 8,000 individual members. Okay. And education is so key. I think the, the old days where you educated, then you worked and retired are gone. It's like continual education is what we need today. Tell us about that. Uh, that's a really important question because that's really fundamentally who we are. As I said, education and networking is really what our organization was all about. So we started out, um, and we have for a long time, um, you know, we've had courses like the basics of construction accounting. Doesn't sound too sexy. But it's uh, a basic fundamental course for folks who are interested in getting into construction accounting. We've evolved quite a bit over the years. 
uh, we've evolved in terms of the sophistication of our material and also the way in which we deliver it. In terms of the, uh, the sophistication of our material, we've made a sincere effort recently to look at our curriculum and focus on intermediate and advanced kinds of courses. Because what we realize is someone who's been around our organization for a long time knows the basics, uh, still wants to be educated, and so therefore we've, um, we're in the process really of developing three levels of education, basics, intermediate, and advanced. And we think that'll be, uh, that's a major initiative on our part, and uh, uh, that's been very successful. The other thing that we've done successfully is really focus on the medium in which we deliver our material. Over, over the last, I'd say, three to four years, we've really moved to more of a webinar, internet-based um, type of delivery. So we have one free webinar every month that our members can have access to. And then we have online courses uh, that they can access also that are kind of a deeper dive into a specific subject and more sophisticated. And then uh, our chapters also, uh, we have 95 chapters all over the country. Our 95 chapters deliver uh, courses uh, at the chapter level as well. So I think we've done a nice job of looking at the levels of education and also the different ways in which we deliver it. We're talking with Stuart Binstock of CFMA, and you guys are um, training the industry. I, I love it. Are there opportunities in your industry? It seems like there's a, a lack of people in the construction industry overall. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's certainly a, a labor shortage. It's the number one. If you want to pick the top three issues in the construction industry right now, it's labor shortage, labor shortage, and labor <laughs> shortage. Kind of like that. Kind of like that location, location, location thing with real estate. Yeah. So labor shortage is absolutely um, a, a crucial issue, and it really cuts across the entire industry. So we represent the financial part of the industry, and the CFOs and controllers. There's lots of opportunities. Uh, for people in that area, the labor shortage that most of the time is talked about is the skilled labor out at the, uh, at the job site, uh, the electrician, the plumber, um, the laborer, those kinds of folks. It's a very, very serious problem in the industry. Yeah. And if you're not driving down the road listening to this uh, and you want to look at their website, it's cfma.org. And you see some of the things that we're talking about with Stuart uh, about their association. And you guys also have an annual conference. And I think, you know, a big association like you guys, when you get to these conferences, it's really a great opportunity to network and, and, and do more business. Tell us about uh, your convention coming up. So it's June 3rd through 7th in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, some organizations, they'll have, um, they'll, they'll say they're an education organization, and you look at their um, agenda, and they have education from about 8 to 10 a.m. <laughs> That's not our members. Uh, our education starts at about 7 a.m. and goes till about 5 p.m. So um, financial folks have CPE requirements, uh, and so those um, professional education units that they need to uh, to keep, the, whether they're CPA or we also have a certification, so they need continuing education credits. So you can essentially get all of your continuing education credits if you attend uh, our conference uh, completely from start to finish. You can almost fulfill all of your obligations for a year by attending our conference. Uh, the other part about our conference is we like to have fun. Our, I truly believe our members work very, very hard, but they play hard as well. And we have a number of uh, 
social functions, and we also have a charity run for the local. We let our chapter, our local chapter, designate a charity, and then we have a uh, charity run slash walk. I walk. Most people run. And um, we have raised, last year I believe we raised about $18,000 for a local charity in San Antonio. We'll be in uh, Phoenix this year, and we hope to do the same or maybe even more. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I ran last week. It uh, was after the ice cream truck was trying to get away. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think the developers that, that we work with and the clients that are always asking us to, to recommend folks are to like to see people with certifications. I have several, including a CCIM. So tell us about the certification you guys give out, and, and what does someone have to do to have that certification? So uh, we call uh, folks a CCIFP. Uh, construction certification, industry financial professional, and um, the you need some minimum requirements in terms of years of service in the industry, and then after that, it's uh, it's taking an exam, which is a fairly exhaustive exam, which covers the waterfront from A to Z in terms of uh, understanding finance and construction. And I will tell you one thing: our members always tell me that. What folks don't understand is that construction finance is a little bit different than regular uh, construction accounting. So um, our courses are very focused on construction. We, we never have a kind of generic uh, uh, topic. It's, they're very focused on construction accounting. Okay. And I should add, we also, at our conference, and we're very proud of this, it's more than just accounting. Uh, we have a leadership track. We have a technology track. So we have... Uh, we have an HR track, so we have a whole bunch of uh, material that goes way beyond kind of the role of a typical construction accountant. Okay. And so what would be a final tip for our listeners and viewers to, to get the most out of your association? Well, I, you know, I think it's true of our association as it is with any other association. What you put into it is uh, you'll get more out of it the more you put into it. Um, so we have very, very dedicated, uh, active volunteer leaders and I think what, what they have told us is they have gotten so much back in return in terms of leadership skills, in terms of developing themselves both from a financial realm and on a personal level. They've, they've gotten way more than they've given to the association. And those are people who have given a lot to the association. So I, we always encourage people get involved at the local level. Once you've been involved at the local level, get involved at the national level. And um, it's unlimited, uh, you know, what you can do. We have lots of folks who start out on the financial realm of a construction company who end up becoming CEOs, and we'd like to think we've helped them along the way uh, in their leadership skills as well. Great tip, Stuart. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. If you'd like more information, visit their website at cfma.org. Org. And uh, be sure and join us next week. We're going to have a great show. We're going to talk about what's up with retail. There's been a lot of changes going on in the retail sector. We'll talk about it next week, find out more. And then thanks for joining us out there on the radio stations, on iTunes, on YouTube, and the show website. We appreciate you being with us. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere.
Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And Buildout, the marketing tool for your brokerage.